Bonjour, Crypto 101. Bryce here. And this is Pizza Mine. <laughs> We've got two cool projects to introduce you guys today. We've got Kilowatt Coin and Quantum Resistant Ledger Foundation, otherwise known as the QRL Foundation. Happy belated Earth Day, Crypto 101 podcast listeners. We are very concerned about the environment here because we live in it. So we're looking at all these different platforms in which you can trade energy and other carbon emissions on. And we have with us today Kilowatt, which is going to explain to us how the average user can actually apply this technology to their lives, because I have no clue how this affects me at this point. Well, we're about to learn. We're still in our hybrid series where Matthew Aaron is conducting the interviews and we're given our color around the edges. And QRL, Quantum Resistant Ledger Foundation, they're extremely futuristic guys, but also super practical. They're building blockchain ledgers that are quantum resistant. So what does that mean? So if you're trying to brute force a SHA-256 private key, first off, it's going to take more energy than available in our solar system to brute force this. Is that real? That's real. That's like a real straight up fact. I oh got God. the math right here in front of me. Uh, let's assume that you have a processor, say an Intel Xeon, and it could perform one trillion key guesses a second. Okay. Whoa. It's a lot, right? But it, that, that could happen. Okay. The number of keys possible and thus the number of keys that you would have to guess in order to guess a right private key is thus two to the 256. Okay. So with one trillion guesses per second, that single processor will take 3.67 times 10 to the 57th power years. That's oh like my God. a quadrillion, even... trillion, billion, million, half a gazillion years. So like there's not even a real number you know, name for no, that. No, we, we, we actually have this number. It's 2.7 times 10 to the 47th power times the age of the universe. So it's older than the universe. Oh my God. That's how long it would take to guess a private key. But just in case someone does it, we've already got a quantum-resistant ledger to fall back on. That's exactly right. So they're going to talk to you about how quantum-resistant cryptography is different than normal cryptography. I can't wait to hear. I'm excited to learn, so let's just jump into it. Let's do it. Uh, without further ado, Matthew Aaron. Gerard Newkirk, founder and CEO of KWH Coin. Welcome to Crypto 101, sir. Pleasure to be here, Matthew. It's great to hear from you, my friend. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm, I like to get straight into it, cut all the fat. Give us an origin story of KWH Coin and what do you guys do? Yeah, man, started in 2017 as a platform to connect over 1.2 billion people in the world that don't have access to energy to uh, blockchain solutions and to renewable energy. And uh, that's what we do. Now we've kind of expanded and we not only service off-grid and remote locations, we have expanded to provide uh, data analytics and uh, energy verification services for energy companies, utilities, and electric cooperatives. So we really evolved over the last two years. Right on, man. And so how does that work? What do you mean connect yeah. people with renewables? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So we track energy data for distributed energy resources. So what we do, let's say, for example, if someone has solar connected to their house, we connect to their smart meter and we track their energy uh, usage versus their energy consumption and the excess they are rewarded for KWH coin. And what we uh, do as far as how we align that is now you can use KWH coin as a settlement mechanism because we are taking the energy value outputs and we are placing them in an ecosystem where they have value. But on top of that, we are connecting distributed energy resources. So as the same way Uber aggregates people that have cars with people that want rides, we aggregate people that have renewable electricity with people that desire it. So that's the foundation for our business model. But now we've expanded on top of that to 
develop a software as a service model. Gotcha, gotcha. And you, it really strikes uh, a familiarity with Power Ledger. Is there, yeah. is there a similarity with that? Yeah, well, Power Ledger, their primary focus is existing. They plug into existing solar farms, solar facilities. Whereas with KWH Coin, we want to service off-grid, remote, rural locations. So most of our partners are like electric cooperatives, independent service operators, people that the traditional service grid doesn't have the model to provide services for. That's our typical customer, and that's how we have designed our platform to serve. And we also want to use our our platform to develop more insights on customer behaviors in, in order to, to build out financial incentive models for energy companies that better uh, perform for their existing asset portfolios. You know, Power Ledger uh, got everybody excited yeah. back, back back in the day, and oh, they yeah. kind of disappointed because of their willingness to work with the power companies and the governments in, in a way that basically did not do anything for the people that do have renewables and do control their own energy, live off the grid, yeah. or countries like Puerto Rico, especially after the hurricane, where they're like, we can set up solar, now we want to sell our energy, and we want to help other people out that doesn't have solar. What is your roadmap to one, are you planning to work with uh, big institutions, com- companies, or uh, electrical uh, power companies, or are you going to try to keep it in the hands of the people? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Our focus is in the hands of the peoples, especially here in the United States with electric cooperatives. Um, in North Carolina, for example, we are part of now a pilot project, which is called the Global Data Asset Collaborative, where we're working directly with electric cooperatives to service those customers. In North Carolina, there are 2.5 million people that are members of electric cooperatives, and they're not off-grid, but they're primarily in rural and remote locations. And in most cases, their power bills are between 25 to 45% of their income. So this is who we target because we ultimately want to lower the cost of electricity by making it easier for distributed energy resources to be connected with this customer. Because, you know, here, for example, with Duke Energy, uh, my parents live, you know, 45 miles outside of town. So their electricity bill is considerably higher than a person that is living inside. So we are working with the cooperatives to open up that flow of renewable energy with all of the assets that are being deployed here so that it's a much smarter grid and so that it lowers the cost for those customers. So that's really how we differentiate our models from some of the existing blockchain or cryptocurrencies. We want to work exclusively with cooperatives and people that service the edges of the grid. How many customers are you serving right now, even though your market cap is very low? And does your market cap even matter? Because I do see a huge volume of traffic of the KWH coin. Yeah, I don't think the market cap matters because we are developing an energy as a service model. Okay, right now, pilot that we're working on is very large. It's working with VIA. They are an artificial intelligence company in Boston University who is going to do uh, development and insights on this study. Uh, we're also working with Cape Fear Solar Systems, Blue Ridge Energy out of North Carolina as part of this pilot because we're going to use this as a mechanism to, again, to be able to service them because we have a energy software as a service model. And I think that in cryptocurrency especially, there is harder for them or some investors to see the tangible value in what KWH Coin is building and developing within building services that we can actually provide a value 
to a customer. So those are our two primary customers. We were just at the Sustain the Sounds concert that was held here in Wilmington. Cape Fear Solar Systems decided to use KWH coin as their carbon offset. Uh, this was a concert that had over 5,000 people in locally, and so that got tremendous publicity for us. But I think some of the real-world tangible uses of KWH coin as a centerpiece in an ecosystem, I think it's tremendously undervalued by the market. You know, we're small guys, so we don't have the glossy marketing that some of the higher-profile projects have had. But on the underside, when you really look in in depth and look at the partnerships that we've developed, to be able to use our blockchain to provide a service, I think that we're well above the rest in those real-world applications of blockchain technology as a service. And that's you're going to start to see the value of that whenever we complete these pilots as we begin to sell the service or as we begin to have these long-term contracts with electric cooperatives. Then I think you're going to see tremendous value of the KWH coin. Why do you need a blockchain, sir? Um, because we ultimately designed this to set up a platform for people to be able to trade energy peer-to-peer. That's our foundation. We haven't gone away from that at all. However, what we've done is we are building the software infrastructure in order to be able to support that and build business models on top of that. So what we're going to do in Puerto Rico, Sierra Leone, Kenya, those things are still there. We just are now, if you will, developing the pilots and developing the resources in order to be able to be much more impactful players in that market. Because that, for us, the 1.2 billion people in the world that don't have energy access, that's our marketplace. However, um, investors, um, because they, they see that or they think that it is so risk averse, they don't want to put capital there. We realize that we're going to have to be the all within all the time, the type of, to develop those type of service models. To develop something like this is very ambitious. I don't think is the word for it because I think <laughs> ambitious is not, not big enough. And I, and I say that because I am a skeptic. I am a skeptic yeah. of this technology. One, I, yeah. I think that this is an amazing idea. I would yeah. love to have solar panels on my house and sell that energy off and allow people to be 100% renewable. But man, what? It's illegal. And I think in California to live off the grid, <laughs> you have to have some, you have to have your sewer and your electric like uh, hooked up to a public utility. If your governments, I, I know people who have developed products in for Africa and the government has just said, no, we're not going to support you because that takes out of our pocket. And they don't, they're not going to, in most times when they're a developing nation, the only person that can develop power plants and power grids is the government because they're the ones with the money. And then they control that utility, which they create uh, revenue for. To yeah. go into any of these markets and say, hey, put up a solar panel, live off the grid, sell your money to somewhere is more than ambitious. How do you plan to even try to combat with the pushback you're going to get? Yeah, well, actually, when you when you dig into the trenches and start taking on a few grenades, uh, the biggest point of friction for most African governments is servicing their off-grid populations. I've actually been invited to speak with nine presidents in Africa on us being able to offer a comprehensive off-grid solution. For example, in, in uh, Sierra Leone, 80% of the population is off-grid. So politically, it's no longer becoming a matter of choice. It's no longer becoming a matter of desire, but of necessity to service those populations. Do they won't have a government? And those companies in those countries, they aren't going to build a centralized grid system because it's completely too expensive. Mm. All right, so here in the United States, for example, uh, grid servicing the grid last year was $107 billion, mm-hmm. $107 billion. So that's an unsustainable model. So the solution is going to be one that is using distributed energy technologies or mm-hmm. distributed energy resources, software, and a smart grid system. 
So we are building our systems and we are building our service models to provide services for what we know is going to be not, not, um, this is not a theory. This is what's happening. There are a lot more. For example, in Puerto Rico, that model is pretty much decentralized now. And the same thing that's happening in Puerto Rico is going to happen in the Virgin Islands next. Now, yeah, there will be just like whenever you have a new model coming in that's new, uh, you're always going to have points of friction. But overarchingly, all energy models are going to move towards a service-based model and not toward grid centralization. Mm. That's not a theory. That's a matter of fact. You know, I just left the energy conference in, in Nashville, Tennessee, three weeks ago. And this was, these were the largest utilities in the Midwest and all of them. And, and they were lined up asking me questions because all of them know that this is a reality. They just want to position themselves not to lose market share, which is why we take an energy as a service model versus coming in trying to be a disruptor. We want to add value servicing this in order to build out infrastructure where we can then empower people at the edges of the grid. Love it. Love it. In a nutshell, man, if yeah. you could do it in a 10-second nutshell, what yeah, does man. KWH Coin do? We make it easy for anyone in the world to get renewable energy and get their full value for it. Done. And if somebody Done. wants to look more into uh, KWH Coin, where can yes, they go? Sir. www.kwh coin. It's the same. That's our website. Uh, the same handle on Twitter, Instagram, and also on Medium, our blog, KWH Renewable Energy, is probably the best source for comprehensive information. And they also have a big write-up about us on the greaterwilmingtonbusinessjournal.com. You can check us out on that page as well. Awesome, dude. Thank you very much for giving us a one-on-one. All right, man. Hey, thanks so much, my friend. All right, brother. Take it easy, bro. All right. Adam Colton, lead business strategist of QRL. Welcome to Crypto 101, sir. Thank you for having me. Excellent. So what we're going to do today is go through Quantum Resistance Ledger Foundations 101. You guys are popped out of nowhere and popped on my radar because of a conversation I had with Hashoshi about quantum computing 101. And we were talking about, are there solutions to the quantum computing threat? And somebody added me on Twitter and said, look at these guys. And here you guys are. So before we get into that conversation of the, the quantum threat to the blockchain, tell me a little bit about the origin of QRL, sir. QRL. Uh... At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? 
Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. The white paper was written in November of 2016. That was shortly after one of the basically key uh, mathematical elements that we used to secure ourselves against quantum computers was uh, verified as applicable to network technologies. So Peter Waterland, uh, the founder of QRL wrote a white paper in November 2016 that was initially in partial response to the fact that it was very hard to talk about anything aside from Bitcoin's block size at the time in the crypto community. And he initially wanted to try to bring quantum resistance to Bitcoin, but realized that given the technical needs of quantum resistance, it was actually easier to just start a blockchain from scratch. So he wrote the white paper in the end of 2016. And then in 2017, he um, built the team, brought on a variety of people, including my Myself in the summer of 2017. And we were a um, ERC20 token initially. In June of 2018, last year, we launched our um, blockchain fully, and we're about a month out from celebrating our one year anniversary of that. Right on, man. Congratulations on the one month out of one year anniversary. But what is quantum resistance? And why is this something that you guys are looking at? Okay, so quantum resistance is a lot like water resistance in the sense that you can have a watch and it can say it's waterproof. Well, it's not really. It's just safe until a certain depth. Um, water resistance is the more accurate terminology. And similarly, if you hear people talking about being quantum proof, they're probably trying to sell you something. Quantum resistance, on the other hand, is actually achievable in like sort of the correct terminology. So quantum computers are a completely different type of computer. Traditional computers work based on, you know, binary, those ones and zeros we're all familiar with. And they are built upon atomic units known as bits. And a bit can be either a zero or a one. When you have quantum computers, you have a very different architecture where it's built on what are known as qubits. Now, qubits can be either zero or one, or what's called a superposition of both. And that's a little bit of a complicated mathematical concept, but what it breaks down to is that quantum computers are very, very good at very different tricks than traditional computers. And many of the things that traditional computers are good at, quantum computers will not replace, but there's things traditional computers have not been able to do that quantum computers will be. One of them is uh, break certain types of encryption that are used in both blockchain, the internet, as well as most network technologies today. It's a security problem that exists both within our industry and within the wider technical world. But because blockchain is a very unique type of network, it requires a very unique type of solution. And so that is what uh, we have addressed at QRL. Excellent. I, I really like your analogy of it being water resistant and it being quantum resistant. But with that analogy of it being water resistant, say your analogy of the watch, is you can test it. You can test it down to a depth of 30 meters or 100 meters or whatever you're resistant up to. With quantum computing, 
not being out and able to be achieve the, the qubits needed to break a blockchain, how are you certain that you're resistant? So there's two ways to test a water-resistant watch. One is to take it down to the depth it says on the front, and if it still works when you get back to the surface, you know it's legit. The other way is a little bit less direct, but still possible and in theory just as accurate, which is to calculate you know, at 30 meters underwater, what is the pressure? And then can the materials that the watch is made of in the way that it is constructed resist that pressure? And if so, then it can resist it. Now, the way that maps onto our current situation is via math. So math is wonderful for a lot of reasons, uh, not the least of which being, you know, its ability to illuminate uh, our universe for ourselves. But the other one is that it's able to accurately predict things despite not being able to access them through time and space. So most of the math that we are talking about that is going to potentially provide the algorithms that will help threaten blockchain and quantum computers are sufficient enough, as well as the mathematics that uh, we have implemented to help protect blockchain blockchain from quantum computers, all of that was developed decades ago. A lot of the, the mathematical underpinnings were developed in the 1970s and 1980s. Some of it sort of came to the form we use it today in the 1990s. All of that was well before the very first qubit had been created and before quantum computers were anything more than a theory. But because math is able to work with things that it does not have literal hands on uh, because of the consistencies of mathematics and physics, that math has been around for quite a while. And so to make a long story short, the vulnerability within ECDSA that quantum computers will be able to attack using Shor's algorithm is not present in our signature scheme at all. You you can't use a door if the door doesn't exist. Uh, and we have removed that door. ECDSA? What's that? So ECDSA stands for Elliptic Curve Digital Signature Algorithm. It is the way that public key, private key pairs are created and organized throughout pretty much all of blockchains. Bitcoin, Ethereum, any derivation of either of those two chains uses ECDSA. It's basically your public key and private key being an XY pairing on an elliptic curve that uses a lot of very large prime numbers to keep it secure because traditional computers, even traditional supercomputers, are not very good at being able to factor very, very large prime numbers. It's something that takes an incredibly long amount of time, which is where the security comes from uh, in our current situation. But as things advance, quantum computers, when they are sufficiently powerful to run a piece of mathematics known as Shor's algorithm, which is specifically designed to factor very large prime numbers, uh, they will be able to reveal the private key from an associated public key because there is that inherent mathematical relationship mm -hmm. already. For everyone listening, if you want to know more about Shor's algorithm and some of the things that uh, are being discussed here by Adam, please go to the Quantum Computing 101 episode with Hashoshi. We cover that in depth. My question is, what's the applications of QRL right now? For example, is it a layer two solution for the Bitcoin blockchain? Do you think that something like Bitcoin will migrate over to uh, the, the quantum resistance ledger? Or how does it factor into the future of quantum resistance? So we are definitely not a layer two solution. We're a protocol layer blockchain. Uh, we have a completely unique code base. We're not a fork of anyone. We did not copy someone's repo and then make slight changes to it. So it's a completely distinct code base that offers quantum resistance as its kind of highlighted security feature, but it's by no means the only thing our blockchain can do. Um, you know, like many other blockchains, our blockchain can uh, create and uh, send tokens. Um, we're currently working on smart contract functionality. We have a notarization feature and are um, building out uh, a number of integrations with outside uh, uh, 
services such as Keybase, which went live last week. Um, our basic pitch to anyone who is making a, a DAP or a secondary layer um, application of any type is kind of like the pitch to a builder, right? So if you're trying to convince people to come build on your land, the thing you need to do is make sure that you have a solid foundation because if they build a really nice shop and then, you know, it caves in, it isn't going to really help. The other thing you need to do, in addition to, to providing a, a firm foundation, which is kind of what we think of as security, is make sure that people, you know, these builders have electrical, water, utilities, the ability to erode so customers can reach them. Um, that's what we look at as this continually expanding suite of functionality that we have added to and con will continue to add to the blockchain. We want to create the most attractive environment possible for open source developers um, to come build their applications on. One of the questions I always try I like to pose for new uh protocols is that there's already a lot of established protocols like you were an erc20 you know ethereum works it might not be the fastest and i might not be have the best six scaling solutions right now but it works and a lot of people are building on it bitcoin bitcoin cash monero whatever these cryptocurrencies you whatever one you, you want to pick whatever brand you want to pick are being used as a cryptocurrency is your long-term plan just waiting for quantum computing to take everybody out so you people start building on you how do you position yourself or position this company as competition with the already established big dogs of cryptocurrency and of platforms i think some of that we have, a, we have a slightly different perspective on the market we do not view cryptocurrency or blockchain as a zero-sum game ultimately i think as with any technology there will be periods of explosion and diversification there will be periods where a lot of players fall out projects go bankrupt and then it sort of sucks back in before it goes out again i think we saw some of that over the past two years as prices have fallen since the end of 2017 and a lot of projects that were not well managed or had expanded beyond their financial sort of safety net closed their doors. Uh, we don't think that it's a sort of like a QRL versus Bitcoin or QRL versus Ethereum situation. I view it more like computers or cars or telephones or anything like that, where there were certain established players that helped to found create and shape this industry and not surprisingly they currently enjoy the largest market caps the most name recognition and uh, the widest degree of support but as this technology continues to develop people are going to need more specificity in their technical solutions they're going to need faster speeds for certain things they're going to need more security for other things and i don't believe it's going to be one chain to rule them all i really do think that different blockchains with different specializations are going to find their home and find their community. When you talk about data storage, when you talk about things like transferring value, there are very different needs for different applications. For some people, they need to get their data from point A to point B as fast as possible. And if somebody can read that data a month from now, it doesn't matter because it's only really useful in the moment. For other people, it's not about how fast you get from A to B. It's about the fact that no matter what happens, their data will never be compromised, will never be accessible, and will always be private. You know, probabilistically, that privacy-oriented blockchain is going to be quite a bit slower than the speed-oriented blockchain. But I wouldn't necessarily say one is like better or worse, or even that they're directly competing, because they're trying to offer different things. 
you know, a lot of people viewed Ethereum initially as either a Bitcoin upstart, a Bitcoin killer, or, you know, is usually conceived of as being in some way antagonistic to Bitcoin. But I think as right. we've seen over the years, it isn't really. Ethereum does right. Ethereum's thing and has a very different goal and a very different community than Bitcoin. Same thing with Monero and many of the top coins. And I do think that QRL is following in that path in the sense that we're not trying to replicate what somebody else has done. We're doing our own thing. And, you know, over time, the market will show whether or not what we're doing is desirable. But I really believe that security never goes out of style and that the longer this industry runs and the more mature it gets and the more value is attached to it and the more mainstream it gets, the more people are going to desire the sort of reliable security that they enjoy in other areas of their lives. Is it a proof of work, proof of stake system? It's a proof-of-work system. Uh, we have never been um, shy about the fact that we've always been very interested in proof-of-stake. Even going back to the white paper, uh, proof-of-stake is something that we have thought has the potential, the theoretic potential, to add a, a very interesting degree of security to a network. However, obviously, proof-of-stake is still something that is being worked out and wrestled with in a lot of theoretical as well as laboratory contexts. Right. Is your network a proof-of-work or proof-of-stake system? And with that, what is your network looking like right now? Transactions, nodes being ran, miners, how many people are participating in your network? Uh, great question. So we are a proof-of-work network, uh, have been since our inception. As for uh, specifics about our network usage, um, we have a completely open and transparent explorer that you can find on our website that will show you in real time, as well as with some graphs over time, network usage, number of nodes, number of transactions per block, per day, etc. If people want to know more about QRL, where would you direct them to go our website is theqrl.org and that's that boom yeah. what about a twitter twitter is at qr ledger cool man cool adam colton of qrl foundation i really appreciate you coming down and uh, telling us about some different strides being made in the crypto community because i didn't know this existed to prevent the threats of quantum computing attacking different blockchains so thank you very much for your time sir you're welcome thank you for having me all right. Well, I hope nobody got lost in the weeds there on learning about quantum computing. Uh, I I actually did a little bit. That was uh, that was super uh, educational, uh, and that's like one of the smartest guys probably in the world. <laughs> My mind is destroyed. There's no pizza left in it. <laughs> There's no pizza left in Pizza Mind's mind. Uh, well, everybody, I hope that you guys had fun. We're going to wrap it up today. Again, as always, we would love, love, love to hear your feedback, questions, comments. Follow us at Crypto101Pod on Twitter or on our Facebook group, the Crypto101Podcast community. We'd love to see you there. Peace. Ciao, main brother. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.